Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of the Main Street Preps podcast. I'm your host, Russell Venosi, and I'm thrilled you've joined us today. We've got a fun show lined up, including a conversation with Cane Ridge football coach Eddie Woods. He's been at the forefront of the movement to try to convince Metro Nashville Public Schools to play football this fall. The district has been on hold through the first three weeks, and they haven't even begun contact practices yet. However, Nashville Mayor John Cooper offered some hope with interesting comments on Thursday morning, and we talk about that with Coach Woods. After that, I make my picks for 10 of the most intriguing games around the Mid-State. I'm 14-5 through the first two weeks, so hopefully we can keep that win percentage going. Now, before we get to all that, I want to introduce the pod and let you know what you can expect from this show. We're going to do this every week, and new episodes will be released on Thursday or Friday. The podcast is going to provide a cross-section of what's happening around the Middle Tennessee high school sports scene. Football will be the focus this fall, but at Main Street Preps, we talk a little bit about everything. So girls' soccer, volleyball, cross-country, golf, it's all fair game for this show. Another key will be that the show is going to be 30 minutes or less every week. We want to get everybody in and get everybody out. So without further ado, here's today's episode. I'm joined now by Cane Ridge football coach Eddie Woods, who's been an outspoken voice during this whole ongoing Metro sports situation. Coach Woods, thanks for the time today. Well, thanks for having me. Well, Coach, it came down last week that Metro National Public Schools won't be returning to in-person classes until October at the earliest, and sports are on are also on hold until further notice. Um, how tough has it been for you and your team to be in a holding pattern like this? Uh, I think it's challenging for everyone. Uh, you know, the kids are eager to go back out there and compete. You know, we didn't have a spring, and, you know, we had like half of a half, half of an off-season, so... Uh, those guys when they camp this summer and things like that, but they're just eager to get out there. So, you know, the more time goes by, they just get more and more eager. But they have been positive. They've been coming out working hard and not complaining. So, you know, hopefully some good comes out of them. Yeah, then speaking of positives, uh, this morning, Thursday morning, Nashville Mayor John Cooper said that Metro schools are, quote, on the path to being able to play games possibly by the end of September. Uh, what have you kind of been hearing about that? Uh, that's the first I've heard of it, um, you know. Sometimes I hadn't been hearing much, but sometimes no good, no news is good news. But that is uh, something to give our kids something to hang on because I know these guys are eager to get back out there and other coaches as well. Um, I knew this would probably take some time to kind of figure out and come through because uh, we're the second largest district in the state of Tennessee, uh, almost 86,000 kids that attend our district. So uh, you know, when your district is big like that, it's a lot more decisions, a lot more precautions, things that have to be taking place, but. You know, I was hoping it worked out for the best. And obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and safety needs to be the, the first priority. But, uh, you know, with Clarksville, Montgomery County Schools starting up contact sports this week, uh, Metro Nashville has been the last district still still on hold. Um, like you said, obviously, it's a big district and a big city that's been affected by the virus um, in, in a pretty big way. But um, how frustrating has that been, especially since there are uh, schools right down the road from you guys that have been able to play games? Well, I understand everything about it, you know. Um, although you have schools right down the street, as I said, you know, they don't have 85,000 kids they have to consider. Uh, you know, uh, most of those guys are private schools. They, they don't have nearly as much kids that we have. And the surrounding counties are kind of the same boat. You know, we're kind of a pretty big district, but not quite a six hour. So um, I just understand that, you know, by us being, you know, right in the inner city and things like that, you know, just there's more things that have to be considered. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm frustrated because I was a little frustrated because I want the kids to get out there and, you know, because I know they're frustrated, but I do understand the process. And, of course, the news from Dr. Battle uh, that you guys are would, would be on hold for a little bit longer came out last Tuesday. 
Um, and then two days later, several Metro coaches, including yourself and players, got together and you guys staged a press conference. Um, were you guys able to accomplish what you wanted to do with that? And do you feel like your voices are, are starting to be heard now? Yeah, I never thought our voices weren't heard. Um, you know, when that happened, the media outlets, they, they kind of tore us apart with questions and phone calls and, you know, tweets and, you know, all, all, all things considered communication-wise. So um, I guess uh, a few coaches just, Decided to just get together and just kind of, you know, kind of answer those questions at the same time. Uh, it was nothing put together to go against the district or talk about anything like that. Uh, but we're in this fight with that. We understand. You know, we're just trying to make everyone stand, understand from our standpoint, um, you know, how we can do this safely. Um, you know, our job is to convince them how we can do this safely and, and how much how much time and, and how, much, how many resources we are willing to invest to make sure this happens safely. And if we can ease their mind with that, that's all we can do and hopefully that'll make them come up with a decision. Uh, in our favor, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's her show, and whatever she's decides to do, we have to support it, because we, ultimately, we all work for her, but um, our job is just about to get with her, and, and, and get with her team, and say, hey, we can do this safely, and, and this is what we're willing to do, and sometimes, you know, when you do that, uh, they're at least considering, and hopefully they're considering for the day. And I know also on Monday, there was a reopening rally outside the uh, Metro Nashville Public School headquarters, so, uh, you know, between that and the press conference, and, um, other ongoing dialogue. I mean, do you feel like uh, some progress is being made here? Uh, yeah, because you know, it's more voices. Just not about sport, uh, just football, which is that's the major component of it. Sports, fall sports, but you have other sports that were able to what their concerns as well. Then you got some uh, parents trying to see when their kids can be back in school and things like that. So they have a lot on their plate, man. They have a lot to do. I understand, you know, when you make decisions for five months, a hundred thousand people, it's, it's gonna gonna take a little time uh but yeah I, I i think it was progress made from a standpoint of if if if, if people are rallying and, and and crying out for our kids to you know be able to participate then we have to understand that we have to take on the responsibility to say okay we're going to do our part to make sure we can do it safely we're going to have your back when we're in the community burn bad and then anything we have to do we're going to invest more in it right so um hopefully they thought that that we're willing to invest in it and hopefully we can come to a medium and, and get this thing going for these kids. I know you and others have put together a, a safety plan of sorts for how football can be played during the pandemic. Um, what was your process for, for um, creating that plan? Well, um, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with professionals. Now that they, they want to see facts. They want to see how we can do these things. Now, we can go in and talk emotionally about what's going on. That's all great and fine, but they want to have a plan. And I told our coach that they, they want to have a plan. I'll spearhead it, you know. Um, I went out to games week one. Um, man, I talked to a lot of coaches, got a lot of support, man, from, from the surrounding counties. I have a great relationship with the Weavers County coaches, the Rutherford County coaches. I've played them all since I've been here the last five years. And those guys were reaching out to me, you know. Uh, coach Crawford, Ron Crawford at Brentwood was one of the main ones to reach out. And uh, he called me about 6.30 a.m. And, and you know how Coach Ron Crawford sounds. He sounds the same at 6.30 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was born to coach, man, I tell you so. Um, you know, they'll, those guys reaching out to check in how they can help. And, you know, we just, I did the research and kind of, you know, talked to Vanderbilt, people from Vanderbilt, our trainers and things, and looked at TWSLA website, NFHS. I, I just brought all that together to try to come up with the best possible safety plan um, for our kids. And, you know, um, you know, that's all we can do is present that and, and let them know that we're willing to invest the time in research and, and, and how we can do this safely, safely. And, you know, hopefully they listen to it and say, hey, well, this probably seems like something we can probably consider. And that's, that's all I was hoping for. That's all I was hoping for. And, uh, you know, it's not to go against anything that they're, that they're saying or anything like that. Uh, it was just to say, hey, we, we want to invest in this. We want to 
And can you walk me through, I guess, a few key elements of that plan? I know uh, a lot of it was kind of above and beyond what the TSSAA um, was recommending, but uh, what are some what are some things that you think um, can help football be played safely? Yeah, so uh, the number one thing is, you know, as far as practice, we want to cut down on cross-contamination as much as possible. So looking at a few of the other plans, you know, a lot of a lot of them they had like 10-minute segments of, of contact. And, you know, if you're a football person, you know, most of your contact will come from 11-on-11 drill and inside drill, inside run drill, 9-on-7, whatever you want to call it. So I propose to put that on the back end of practice. And for your blocking drills and your tackling drills, do those with equipment, right? With equipment, right? So you can do the tackling drills with tackling rings. Most people have tackling rings. Most people have tackling dummies. Um, with the blocking, you know, you got the sled that you can sanitize easily. Um, you know, you have the two-man sled, one-man sled that you get your blocking drills in. And even with the receiver, we got hand shields that the coaches can hold for the, the receivers to get their blocking drills in. So uh, eliminate the blocking and tackling drills from each other, from, from person-to-person contact, and then move that contact, the, the contact piece, the nine-on-seven drill and inside drill, move it at the very end of practice. So that's all we're doing is the whole the whole time. We're, all we're doing is during contact is at the end of practice. So when it's done, you know, our kids can sanitize. We get those clothes off. We get those clothes washed up for them. And then you're not you're not spreading it just in case somebody does catch it because I mean just a reality some people can still catch it so that was the main thing I wanted to, to point out in their plan that we were going to do and also TWSWA uh, say you can have three and not not three because say hey it's season you know we haven't already done any hitting really at all so we don't need three days let's do it two days uh, you know for us our heavy heavy uh, contact days usually on Tuesday and Wednesdays anyway uh, Monday is pretty much an install day and things like this more mental. So, and Thursday, we don't do any hitting at all. So, we cut down to two days for about 15 minutes at the end, very end of practice and then get those clothes off of and things like that as soon as possible. That was one of the major components of it uh, that I want, that I propose. And you think uh, everything would still work out okay, even with less contact and all that? You, you feel like your team could still uh, get out there and play a game just fine? <laughs> yes, because, I mean, if you if you really, if you're a football guy, you know, during the season, everything is pretty much broken down in small increments, and then it's brought together at the end anyway. You know, you do individual uh, period where, you know, the position guys are with their guys, and then, you know, you might do some seven-on-seven seven stuff, which that's not really as physical as people might think it is. Um, you know, and at the end, you bring it together at the end because at the end of the day, you're trying to keep people healthy from a physical standpoint, right? So um, I still think we can get that in. Now, every team in, in, in the state will tell you that, look, the first couple of games that we're able to participate in, we're going to be terrible tacklers. You know, we're going to we're not going to be as good as base blocking. But you know, as the games progress, you get better and better during the season. Uh, but I mean, it's some sacrifice there to, to cut the cut the contact down in practice to try to make this uh, make this work. You know, and uh, we can't we can't bring every, we can't do a lot of contact in practice and, and and be spreading everything and things like that. So uh, I just thought this was the best possible way to do it. And there's really, you know, so many aspects to what's going on here. But I know you have several athletes on your team being recruited uh, by colleges right now. Some of them, like Kenneth Beard and, and Quentin Barnes, already have a bunch of Division One offers. Um, and I would hope those wouldn't go away, being that some of the colleges aren't even playing um, their seasons on time either. But uh, but what wh- what do you have to say about seniors just across the district that are kind of on the fringes and fighting for a scholarship? I mean, how important is it for them to play this last year and to try to um, get that opportunity to play at the next level? And it's rough because, you know, if you look at it, it is just reality of it. You know, they've already granted um, an extra year eligibility to college kids, right? So 
if you have if you have guys that's older and they can stand and stay another year, then there's less guys you actually have to bring in. Now, I don't think it'll affect the big guys like the Power Five schools as much because those guys got draft grades. You know, they're going to probably leave anyway. Uh, but if you look at the FCS and the Group of Five schools, um, they they can really they don't have to bring as many guys in. You know, uh, because they got they can have other guys who are older and more experienced. Um, to stay an extra year if that, if that happens, you know. So um, it's rough for them. And also, I mean, we all know from recruiting, most most guys on your board, um, they're going to be senior eval guys. And what those are, they might say, hey, we like this kid, you know, we like him as a junior, but we want to see two films of, you know, um, his senior tape. And if you're not able to provide that, you know, and they're playing in Georgia, uh, that same kid that's on the board, you know, he might drop their kid because he's actually playing. He got the two films. I mean, they have to move on too. Um, so, you know, in a sense, they really can't feel sorry for the fact we're not playing, but they have a job to keep, too. So, and that's why it's so rough, you know. Um, that can be a difference of a kid going for, going, going to a, a probably a level he should be playing on to a lower level or even not a level at all. You know, I have another kid, Tyrod Good, is, is probably the best playmaker in the state. Uh, he's a slot receiver. You know, he can do everything. But, you know, it's hard. That, that position is already hard to recruit. And with all the other things considered, this this kid don't have a senior film. It's gonna be very rough for him. And these are good academic kids too. And I know a lot of people are putting out there saying, "Hey, uh, where about the education is?" But Kenneth Beer is a four point two guy. Quinn Barnes is a three point six guy. Tyrod is a three point four guy. So these guys have done everything they're supposed to do. Not only uh, what we're actually gonna do, but in the classroom as well. And you know, from from just having just having a heart. You know, what I mean, you, you just want those kids to be able to do what they want to do because they don't they supposed. To. So what is your your team doing in the meantime here? I guess if what Mayor Cooper said ends up being reality and you guys are able to play by the end of September, uh, hopefully contact and stuff would start soon. But for now, are you guys just doing the conditioning drills and everything like that? Yeah, so uh, we've been conditioning since July, early July. And what I did was I just took a few steps back, especially when I knew it was going to be delayed initially. I kind of treated like spring practice. We did a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of teaching. You know, we conditioned uh, because we missed that April and May, which is very crucial and conditioning and strength, uh, lifting weights and things like that. But what we did was we just kind of took a step back. Uh, we was doing a lot of walkthroughs and teaching guys who knew certain positions. And um, so when we were able to go, our guys at least know what they're doing. So we, we can't get a lot of the physical uh, aspect in or the contact aspect in right now. But the confident they are, they know what they're doing. Then the, when, when the hits come and, and, and when the experience comes, then it's easier to pick up on, easier to catch up to the game speed. Uh, rather than just trying to cram everything that they can't master anything mentally. If they can't master anything mentally, then, you know, just don't have a cluster. So uh, that's what we do. We just took a step back and kind of treat like a, a spring approach, you know, just doing a whole lot of teaching, a whole lot of individual. And within that teaching, we're doing a lot more conditioning and doing a lot of conditioning at the end of practice as well. So it's been working out for us. Uh, so when we're able to go, I, I will be confident we, we know what to do once we hit the field. Yeah, it sounds like you guys will be ready, and, and hopefully that day is coming soon, Coach. Uh but I think that's all I've got, unless unless there's anything else you wanted to add. Uh, no, uh, I, I just, you know, I hope our guys keep their heads up and, you know, this prayer doesn't work out for the better. Um, we know the dish is doing everything they can to make sure they're they're, they're good on all fronts as far as our kids going out there and being safe and, and making other decisions for the people who don't play sports as well. You know, a lot of things got to be considered. And um, I, I know they'll make the right decision, and whatever they choose to do, we're going to support it, and we're going to move on from it. We just hope that everything works out. Uh, for everybody as much as possible. All righty, Coach Woods, we appreciate it and hope hope to see you on the field soon. All right, thanks a lot, man.
And that's been Cane Ridge football coach Eddie Woods. We really appreciate him being the first guest on the podcast this week. Week three of the high school football season is here, and that means it's time to make some more mid-state predictions for some of the best games around Middle Tennessee. Last week I was 7-2, and two, and one of the games was canceled entirely. That was CPA Independence. I sat in the parking lot at Thompson Station for about an hour and a half last Thursday um, as it rained and lightning like crazy around me, and eventually that game was canceled, so that's why we only had nine results from last week. But overall, I'm 14-5 and five with a 73% winning percentage. I'm hoping to keep that going this week. So for the Main Street Preps game of the week this Friday, we've got Ravenwood at Franklin, so that's the game I will be covering. Ravenwood has outscored its first two opponents 86-9 thanks to senior quarterback Trevor Andrews, who's already counted for nine touchdowns in place of graduated three-year starter Brian Garcia. However, I think Franklin is going to be uh, Ravenwood's toughest test to date in this region battle. Um, Franklin has a quarterback in Connor Beaven who's thrown for nearly 500 yards and four touchdowns in his first two games as the starter. Um, but, but Ravenwood has a great defense led by Michigan commit junior Colson, and they haven't allowed much um, through the air or on the ground. So I'm going to go Ravenwood 40, Franklin 20. Up next is BGA at Goodpasture. Both teams are 2-0. and uh, BGA has a really good running back in Sean Williams who ran for 125 yards and, and a touchdown last week in a narrow win over Wilson Central. And Goodpasture is 2-0 under first-year coach Tyler Turner. Uh, now these two teams have combined to allow just 20 points to their first three games played because uh, one of those one of those BGA wins was actually a no-contest victory over McGavick in Week 1. Um, anyways, if BGA can find a way to stop Good Pasture, dual-threat quarterback Cooper Pennington, who's already had uh, two big weeks, um, the Wildcats, I believe, can take this matchup for the fourth straight season. So I'm going BGA 21, Good Pasture 17. Lebanon at Mount Juliet. Uh, both of these teams really should have fresh legs after last week they didn't play, um, and that may have given... Lebanon senior running back DeQuante Shannon a chance to recover from an injury he suffered against Gallatin. Um, but if he can't go, the Blue Devils are probably in trouble here. Mount Juliet rushed for a bunch of yards and three touchdowns and a 14-point uh, win over Stewart's Creek on August 21st. And two of those scores came from senior running back Cameron Malone, who returned after missing most of 2019 with an ACL injury. And I look for Malone to have a big year this year. Um, I'm going Mount Juliet 28, Lebanon 7 in that one. Moving on to a good private school battle, um, Nashville Christian at Davidson Academy. Um, Nashville Christian is 0-2, and they've taken their lumps at USJ and Goodpasture the first two weeks. And the schedule doesn't get any easier for them having to go against the defending D2 single-A state champion in Davidson Academy. Um, and the Bears, they're fresh off a 50 to nothing win over Sycamore last week. Um, and while Nashville Christian's defense has been okay through the first couple of games, I'm not sure that its offense can keep up with the Bears, so I'm going... Davidson Academy 28, Nashville Christian 10. Beach is going to travel to Laverne this week. Um, Beach went all the way to Milan last week to beat Henry County 21-14 for their first win. Really impressive victory there. Uh, Laverne is 2-0 thanks to two big performances from running back Ray, Tan Ray Banner, excuse me, who's been one of the breakout stars in the mid-state so far. He's got 451 yards and eight touchdowns in two games. Um, but, you know, the, the Buccaneers also have a capable back in, in Tyshawn Jefferson. He's got almost 300 yards and four touchdowns himself. And Beach has um, probably a stronger defense than Banner has seen against Rockville and Green Hill. Uh, both of those are new football programs. So I think Beach is going to be able to get this one in fairly easy fashion. I'm going um, Buccaneers 35, uh, Laverne 18. Springfield White House Heritage. Uh, this was a great game last year that I got to attend as the uh, Robertson County sports editor. 
it's kind of the battle for Highway 76. Both schools are located on, on that same street, um, about 10 miles apart. And Springfield won thanks to a block field goal last year, and that turned out to have big playoff implications. Springfield went on to win the region, uh, while White House Heritage kind of had to scramble at the end of the year to slip into the postseason. Um, so whoever wins this game is going to have a leg up in that region uh, 5-4-A battle. Um, and I think Springfield's going to be able to do it behind um, senior dual-threat quarterback Cavantes Hudson. He's already got 260 yards of total offense and three rushing t- touchdowns in his first game, which was a win over Wilson Central two weeks ago. Um, they've also got senior Gabe Kelly on defense, and he had two interceptions there, and he, he's also a good receiver for them. Had seven catches for 61 yards. So I think that duo is going to be too much for a White House Heritage squad that struggled in the red zone and is still trying to find ways to score points right now. Um, so I'm going Springfield 30, White House Heritage 17. Then you've got Watertown at Trousdale County, another good region uh, rivalry matchup. Um, Watertown and Trousdale County have finished as the number one and number two teams in Region Five Two or Region Four Two A um, each of the last three seasons, and I think that's probably going to be the case again this fall. And that makes Friday's game the de facto region title game. So a really, really big game here um, early, early in the season. But Trousdale County has a great rushing game uh, led by Bryson Claiborne and Jordan Pickett. Those two rushed for um, nearly 300 yards and four touchdowns um, in a win over White House last week, and I think that. Those two guys are going to help the Yellow Jackets um, beat the Purple Tigers this week. So I'm going Trousdale County 28, Watertown 17. Summit at Columbia. Uh, Summit is led by Destin Wade, who's off to just an incredible start here through the first two games. He's had to carry the load while his his twin brother, Keaton Wade, is expected to miss most of the regular season with a foot injury. Really unfortunate there. These two guys are uh, two of the best prospects for the 2022 class in Tennessee. Um, but Destin has already thrown for over 500 yards and six touchdowns, and he's rushed for another 263 yards and a pair of scores. So Columbia has to find a way to limit him, uh, but actually doing that is a completely different story. I'm not sure they're going to be able to. So Summit 30, uh, Columbia 25 is my pick for that one. Then you've got Cookville at Riverdale. Um, yet again, another region game here. Um, Riverdale scored 16 unanswered points to come from behind uh, Franklin last week and beat them. And that came just one week after the Warriors had suffered a 27 loss to CPA to open the season. CPA, obviously, one of the best teams um, in the mid-state as well. So they've had a, a tough uh, schedule to open their season. Cookville has not had as tough as a schedule in their 2-0, but they do have a dynamic quarterback in Stockton Owen, um, who's a threat to run or pass. Um, you know, the thing I like here, though, is the Riverdale defense. Their front seven has uh, got all kinds of talent. You've got Alex Mitchell... Caleb Herring and Elijah Herring at linebacker, and then you've got Javon Nelson at defensive end. I think those guys are going to be able to slow Owen and uh, probably limit the Cavaliers on offense. So uh, my pick here is uh, Riverdale, 26, Cookville, 20. And then to wrap it up, we've got a Clarksville-Montgomery County matchup for the first time this season. Um, Those schools sat out the first two weeks, but now they're uh, they're getting going this week, and uh, this matchup was worth the wait. Kenwood at Clarksville Northeast. I know our Clarksville reporter, Brady, will be there for that one. Um, Northeast has a quarterback in Jaden Puig, who threw for 1,400 yards and 16 touchdowns. And get this, just six games as a freshman. So this is a name, Jaden Puig, that you're going to hear for at least three more years now. Um, And he's going to lead the Eagles to probably a bunch of wins over that time. However, Kenwood, they've got a good quarterback too, Jalen Washington. He put up 1,400 yards, nine passing touchdowns, and four more scores um, on the ground in 2019. So I, I'm expecting a lot of points from both teams. 
the Eagles scored 34 points per game and had a huge turnaround with, with Puig under center, under center um, last year, so I give them the slight edge. I'm going Clarksville Northeast 38, Kenwood 30. That wraps up the picks for this week. Uh, stay tuned to the site on Saturday to see how I did. Um, and while you're there, please sign up for the Main Street Preps daily newsletter that runs Tuesday through Saturday, and it's free. Um, delivered straight to your inbox. All we need is uh, your email, name, and zip code in the little sign-up widget, and you'll be able to get the top headlines in Middle Tennessee uh, d- delivered straight to your email every day. So thanks for joining us for this first-ever episode of the Main Street Preps podcast, and I hope to see you again next week.